beginning in verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, took, taken his garments, and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Let me read those words again. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is true. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your great mercy. And we thank you for the example that you have left us in your word with regard to serving. And we, we ask this morning, God, that we would not just hear these words, but that we would hear them with fresh ears, that we would see them with fresh eyes, that our hearts would be surrendered to you Father, remove distractions from our minds and our hearts, and may we respond to you in faith and obedience to your word. May your voice be heard clearly today. We thank you for this, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So we're continuing in our series, Own the Vision, and we talked about, I, I shared this the first week, second week, the way that we own the vision is by living the mission. And so every week we declare, as we did this morning, our commitments. And when you look at the first, com the first commitment, which is loving God, we know that the scriptures teach, and we went through that text, where the scriptures in the Old Testament say that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all of our might. 
And then Jesus, as well as the instructor, the teacher, the lawyer, who we looked at the first week in under the heading of loving God, they both did something when they were dealing with the text or the question of, you know, what am I supposed to do, like, to honor God? And when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, what did he say? He said the first part, but then he added the second part, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the second command, which is to love our neighbor as ourself, is embodied in the last three things that we say, which is growing together, serving, and reaching others. Growing together, serving, and reaching others. Today, we are going to talk about serving. What we learned is what? We learned that God's devoted love moved him toward his creation to serve in ways in what? In ways in which he, only he, could accomplish. In ways that he didn't have to do what he was doing, but because he loved us, the scripture says what? For God so loved the world, right, that he sent his only begotten son. And so because of God's love, because of the magnitude of his love, because of his devoted agape love toward his creation, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, some of us in this room are not very tall. Hallelujah. So think about reaching something that is on a high shelf or in a high place and somebody taller than you assists you. Hello. They help you because you can't reach. You are vertically challenged. Come on now. You, you can't reach that high. You know, we were, we were in, this, in, in, in this thing behind us, this, this I, I want to call it a garage, but it's this storage area behind us. Some of you don't even know it. I actually want to take you back there because it's like a museum, glory to God. And we can actually walk from one side to the other. And uh, two weeks ago, it was disastrous, you know, because folks go in there and they pull something out and they go, but they don't put it back where it was. They throw stuff in there. It was a mess, a mess, a mess. Praise God for our leaders who embrace the idea of serving. And so a couple of Sundays ago, we came up here and we were in there cleaning. And so there was one thing that we did was we hung up this one, um, this one uh, thing to hang stuff on for, you know, um, rakes and stuff like that. And so uh, Brother John was the one who was hanging it up. And so when I hang something up, right, like I'm not a tall guy. So I usually go a little bit higher than me, right, because I feel like that's like the right place to be. However, how, how tall is John Lynn? So he's 6'2", glory to God. And when John goes like this, that's like eight feet, right? So I'm like, so I said to John, because he put it up there like he was going to, I said, John, 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 who's going to get that? Like we got to come get a ladder to get a rake, glory to God, right? But praise the Lord, you know, he lowered it for the rest of us, right? And so, so it was at a normal height. I'm like, John, I level for you, bro. I level for you. That, that'll get us where we need to be. The point is that many of us have asked John, I think, in this place to help us with stuff that we couldn't reach. Hello. Right? And, 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 and this is someone who's serving us, doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Now, mind you, you may be able to go get a ladder. When it comes to salvation, there ain't no ladder. Come on now. Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is that bridge. He did for us we can never do. How did he do it? He did it through serving. He did it through serving. And here's what I think has to happen for us is that each of us have to realize that we have been created and gifted in a unique way in order to edify others. Each of us has been gifted. We have been created in a unique way in order to edify others. You know what I think the issue is with many of us when we think about serving in the church? And it's funny, Sister Sarah and I were talking, I don't even remember, it was probably a year or so ago, and we were, we were, well, she was discussing the fact that, man, we have all these leaders. 
leadership conferences and all these different. She's like, we need a servant conference, glory to God. I wonder how many people would sign up for a servant conference. We're going to teach you how to serve, glory to God. <laughs> That's the real leadership conference, is it not? It's, I mean, when you think about Jesus' style of leadership, it was servant leadership, right? We'll talk about that in the second point. But here is what we have to realize is that when we think about serving, right, we have to think about the greater purpose that God has given us, right? When we're serving, listen, when you serve in the capacity, when you serve on this music ministry, what are you doing? Yes, you are worshiping God, but you are also allowing us and you're helping us to do what? To worship God. You're helping us to get our minds off of everything else and you're letting us experience you know a moment with the Lord what about when you serve in kids ministry hallelujah right now 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 I've been in, I've been in church for a little while I've led this church for 18 years going to be 19 years in, in in August and you know from the beginning I can assure you from the church that I came from to here sometimes especially this one area nursery 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 hallelujah Sometimes it's like we don't, we don't see the value, like we're just, uh, you know, glorified babysitters or something like that. I don't know. But when you understand, when you decide to put your hand to the plow and you decide to serve, there are two things that are occurring here. Number one, you are investing in the life of the next generation. You, because you have decided to serve, you are being used by God in order to build the faith of the next generation. I can tell you story after story after story of my daughter and my son who are, who, who, obviously my daughter is 19, my son who is seven, who have done things that I didn't teach them, and I'm talking about good stuff, not bad stuff. Come on now. They've said things that I didn't do in a devotional with them. I'm not the super parent. Hello, somebody. I'm flawed like everyone else, and, 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 and they've done. And you know what? I'm like, hey, man, where'd you learn that? Come back to core kids. Comes back to what they learned. But not only, number one, are you serving them, but you know who else you're serving? You're serving other parents in this place. Because you're allowing them to do what? You're allowing them to not worry about their children for the hour and a half that they're in here to worship, and they're able to do what? They're able to engage. They're able to work. They're able to do it freely. Listen, children are not a burden, but sometimes, like when you're thinking about your child, I mean, I know my son, glory to God. You know, he may sit here, but sometimes I'm thinking, yo, we, we, were, we went to the store the other day, to AT&T. My son was flipping all over this store, glory to God. He could, I was like, Josiah, just stay still. It was impossible, but I watch him at home. He don't stay still. I mean, he's bouncing from me. He's watching, he's watching this show. I'm like, boy, what are you doing? Anyway, the point is... When I, can, when I can take him to the responsible core kids ministry, I'm like, praise the name of Jesus. I ain't got to worry about none of that. I don't have to worry about him crawling under seats and messing with people behind him. I don't have to worry about, hey, so what do we, we're, we're serving because God is, but listen, can I tell you something? Not everybody's gifted for kids ministry. Hello? When we're ushering, when we're greeting, right, what are we doing? We are extending the love of God into the life of every person that comes in here. We are helping keep order in what's going on. So, so listen, no matter what you're, you're serving back there in the media. What are you doing? You're allowing people to be able to worship. You're participating in that. When we go online and we're going like, what are you doing? You are just through your service, you are extending what is happening in here to the world. Listen, I, I challenge you, go to, our, go to our page. Go to our page. I do this all the time. You know, I, I always want to check and see. Go and look through the list of people that follow Core Faith Church. And you're going to see that not, not all of them are from here locally. 
There are people that are in other, in other states and other nations that are watching what is going on here. Praise the living God. Because of what? Because somebody decided to serve. Listen, if it wasn't for Lewis back there, he's back there, he's, you know, ducked down. But he, when he came to our church, right, he did what? He, he was the one that got us on a podcast, a podcast. What you, you know, come on now. He was the one that started. It's his fault. Everything that's so stressful, it's all his fault. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was his idea, glory to God. He's like, we need to go national. Amen. Let's go national, glory to God. Let's go global, right? And so the reality is what? Is that when you're serving, we have to realize, man, serving is a kingdom thing. I want you to think about this this morning. Serving is what takes us from making noise to making a difference. Serving is what takes us from making noise to making a difference. So we can say all day long, I love you, show me. We can say all day long, I'm committed, show me. We can say all day long, I care, show me. How do you do it? By serving. We serve, we want to take this beyond. So say this with me, say serving is not optional if we are seeking to imitate Jesus. Serving is not optional if, that's the big thing. If you are seeking to imitate Jesus, serving is not optional. If you're not worried about, if you're not worried about imitating Jesus, then it's an option. Amen? This is factual. If we're going to follow Jesus, and I, and I read the verse twice, verse 15, just look at verse 15 with me real quick. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, I want to make this crystal clear. I believe this. This is my, my, my position on this. I think that if we look at church history, I think that if we look at the scriptures in its context, I do not believe that Jesus was trying to uh, instate a, a, a continual foot washing ceremony in churches. I'm just saying that. I don't think that that's the fact. That's, that, that, that's not culturally what we do. We, listen, we, we wear sneakers. We wear shoes. We're, we're not walking around in dirt and sandals. Uh, traditionally, when someone comes to your house, the closest you get to washing your feet is when someone says, please take your shoes off to walk around. That, that's the closest you get, right? And sometimes, you know, folks need to wash their feet anyway, anyway. But here's the thing. Jesus was not instituting an ordinance in the church is my point. There's only two ordinances that are instituted that we see in the scriptures, and it is the ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of communion. Those are the only two things that we are commanded to do. Now, in the, in, in the context of when Jesus is, is doing this and it is happening, I mean, this is one of the most beautiful, solemn moments that you can think of. And when you think about it, man, it's so revealing of the heart of our Lord and Savior. I want you to think not only about the fact that he got down and he washed somebody's feet, which was by, by any, by any uh, thought, it is, it is a, a very menial task. In those times, they typically had a servant who would come, and when you would enter the home, because again, you were walking around with sandals on, so there was dirt, there was dust, there was everything else that's on the floor, right? Hello? We didn't have like these nice paved roads like we have now. Had animals that run around. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you, right? That was a nasty job. That wasn't the job that you were hoping that you had to do. But there was somebody 
When you came into that home, that they were doing what? That they were washing your feet. It was a way of showing you respect. But it wasn't the owner of the house didn't come and say, hey, let me watch. That isn't how it happened. But Jesus comes and he does what? He gets down with his 12 disciples. That's important. Because he didn't just wash the feet of the 11. He washed the feet of the 12. The text says he knew who was going to betray him, does it not? It's, I mean, he, he washed their feet. He shows even his betrayer, man, I love you. Opportunity after opportunity for him to repent, for him to turn from his wickedness. Jesus demonstrates what real humility and what real servant-heartedness is. But he tells us in verse 15, for I have given you an example. Again, I repeat, serving is not optional if you are seeking to imitate Jesus. See, here's what we have to realize is that God's kingdom does not operate by the rules of the world. In many cases, our sinful desires lead us away from imitating Jesus' servant leadership. Listen, when you have an enemy, do you want to do anything good for them? Be honest. You don't. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to see them. You don't want to wash their feet. Come on, I'll chop their feet off. You know, I'm not washing somebody's feet that is my enemy that has issues with me. But, but yet, here's what happens. As followers of Christ, serving is no more optional than repentance of sin. Are you here? For followers of Christ, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, right, what, 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 what has to happen? There has to be constant, consistent repentance of sin. When you come to Jesus, you have to recognize your sinfulness and turn from your sin. You have to have a change of mind about it. Now, if I came to you and I said, hey, man, you can follow Jesus, you don't have to worry about repentance. Wasn't that one of the big issues with Donald Trump? Was it not? His words. I don't have to repent for anything. That's problematic. <laughs> That's an issue. It, it, it's an issue for me because if I never have to reckon, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. What did Jesus die for? Jesus just died like to, I don't know, he died for my sin. Church, this is why the, the, the issues of our day that, are, that, that, that sin is running rampant are so important for us because Jesus died for sinners. He died because of our sin. But here's what you have to realize is that if I'm going to go ahead and throw out repent, if, I could, if I'm going to throw out serving, I could just as easy throw out repentance. I don't need to repent. Nobody would ever say that. But you know how many people in the church say, I don't have to serve. I don't have to serve. It's, it's, yeah, you know, I don't have time for that. The season. <laughs> oh, glory to God. <laughs> The season I'm in, right? Wait, 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 wait a second. Did Jesus say, this is non-serving season? Disciples, I want to teach you something. There is a season where you don't serve. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not Bible teaching. That's Americanized Christianity. Servant leadership leads and serves. That's what Jesus did. He led and he served. Without negating one for the other. You don't, when you start leading, you don't stop serving. And when you are serving, you ought to be leading. That's what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus, in the, in the act that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was clearly serving, but he was also faithfully leading. That's what we're supposed to do when we're leading. 
when we're serving, we're leading. When we're leading, we're serving. That, that, that they go hand in hand. The servant leadership of Jesus should do what? It should both humble us and inspire us. That's what it should do. In, in this story here, I would think his disciples, you see Peter, right? Peter's over there like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Never. You know, you know, Peter, he's like super holy. <laughs> and then he goes to this other extreme, right? He's like, he, he's like exaggerated. He's like, oh, well, Lord, not just my feet, all of me. Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're already clean. Not all of you, but you're already clean. You just need me to wash your feet. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is, is serving in a way that, man, when you think, church, this is why being gospel-centered in your life is so important. Because when you understand, and listen, you may not, you may not have come to Jesus understanding the gravity of your sin. I, I, I can say that, right? Leonard Ravenhill, one of, the, one of the most powerful men who have ever walked this planet. I love his testimony. His testimony is one that I will always go back to, and I pray that I can imitate his dad. Well, wait, Bishop, I thought you said he was great. No, I, he, he is, but I want to imitate his dad. He shares this story, and I've shared this before, but I, I want you to just, to just, just be reminded of this. He, he, he shares the story of his dad. He's like, I didn't come to faith because, you know, I had this understanding of my sin. Mind you, he preached against sin powerfully. Probably one of the most convicting preachers that ever was. I mean, there, there's a book called Why Revival Terries. Every time I read it, I'm like, man, I need to go and, like, wash cars or something because I'm not worthy to be a pastor. I'm just letting you know that's the weight of conviction that this guy brings in, in his messages. But he says, I remember when I, was a, when I was a young boy, and he said, and I remember on Tuesday nights we would go into the church for prayer. And he's like, and my dad was this big man. We would walk in the church have a jacket, he, have, he would have his jacket on, he would take his jacket off, and tears would begin streaming down his face. And he said, when I saw that in him, I was like, man, I want the God that he has. I want that. So my point is, you can come to Christ because of something like that, where it's not this, this, this full, you know, understanding of your sinfulness, but once you come to Christ, once you start to, see, I believe when I first came to Jesus, like coming to Jesus was the easy way. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've learned some stuff over the last 20-something years. Not true. But here's the thing. When we start to look at God's holiness, when we start to look at God's righteousness, when we start to examine the attributes of God, we start to realize how unholy, how unworthy we are. And then when we side that next to the gospel, that a God that is good, that a God that is pure, that a God that is holy, that a God who created everything good, that a God that created everything working perfectly, didn't just annihilate us all, but decided that he would send his son to rescue us from the penalty of death spiritually to the penalty of death eternally. When we realize, man, God came, he sent his son, he died in my place, he rescued me all of a sudden that is humbling and it is inspiring it is humbling because I realized man he didn't have to do that it is inspiring because I realized he calls me to join him in that he calls me to join him in this work the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say serving must be selfless and sacrificial 
turn to another passage of scripture that I'm sure you're familiar with in the book of Matthew. First gospel, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 to verse 28. And I just want to, I want us to look here at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 to verse 28. And it says this, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am, that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. That, that's just crazy to me that you'd be like, yes, we can do that. Verse 20 says, 23 says, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. We don't know why they were displeased. They were just displeased. They were bothered because of like, how could these guys ask this question? Maybe they were bothered because they didn't ask the question first. I don't know. But nonetheless, they, you know, how it is, they're acting all pious and holy. And Jesus called them to himself and said, this kind of gives us a clue as to maybe why they were bothered. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Again, serving must be selfless and sacrificial. Service, I want you to know this, service or serving is not a denial of authority or position. Some people get the text twisted. They think that Jesus is saying, man, you shouldn't desire any kind of position. You shouldn't desire any kind of leadership or, or anything like that. That is, that is not the issue that Jesus has in this particular text. What Jesus is showing is that it, it is about the correct use of position and authority. So we have to ask this question. Do you use your authority to bully or to build? Do you use your authority to bully or to build, because kingdom uses their authority to build, not to bully, not to push people around. That doesn't mean you don't have tough conversations. How do you have them? How, how, do, you have, how do you deal with disagreement? How do, you, how do you work through that kind of stuff? Do you bully or do you build? How about this one? Do you use your position for leverage or to lift others up? Do you use the position that God has given you to leverage? Oh, well, I'm so-and-so. I lead such-and-such. Such. Or are you using your position to lift other people? See, the wrong attitude toward authority and position will lead us away from the imitation of Christ. Think about that. The wrong attitude of authority and position will lead us away from imitating Christ and hinder us from using our gifts, talents, abilities, and positions that God has given us as opportunities to serve others. So whatever position we've been given, whatever authority we have been given, we should be using it to serve others as Jesus did. Jesus was selfless in his, in his service of humanity, was he not? 
He denied himself his rights for the good of others. Question, are you denying yourself your rights for the good of others? Think about it. Like I just said, in, in any of these areas that, we, that, that, that you serve in, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm not going to serve. I'm, I'm going to come and enjoy church. I'm going to come and enjoy ministry. I'm not going to get up early to be here early on Sunday morning. I'm not going to come here another day of the week. Another day of the week, God forbid. <laughs> Three days a week? Oh, no, you, that's, that's, that's heresy. That's sacrilege right there. Come on now. Hmm. Come on now. Think about it. Think about our comfortable Christianity that we live. Church, I'm asking you serious questions. Are you denying your rights for the good of others to serve them? Are you denying yourself to say, you know what? I could be doing something else, but you know what? I'm going to serve in the kingdom. Jesus didn't just deny his rights, but Jesus was selfless in that, but he was sacrificial in his service of humanity. What did he do? He laid down his life in an agonizing, shameful death. We talked about that. To rescue us, the question that I have for you is this, is are you seeking to imitate Christ or the world in your service? Do you only serve when it benefits you? Do you only serve when it's good for you? Do you only serve when it's convenient? The other day I called I, I, I call my brother Jeff, Minister Jonathan, he was going to, um, <clears throat> he was going to help me attach it. I told you all, I think last week or something like that, one week I made myself look amazing. But um, I got the right, the right trailer hitch, praise the name of Jesus. <sighs> and so Jonathan was going to help me, you know, um, Minister Jonathan, he was going to help me, but, you know, his schedule is crazy. And so he said, man, I can't do it. So I was trying to get it done. So I asked Jeff, I was like, hey, man, do you know anybody that has a lift? And, you know, we had a, a, a nice conversation, and literally the next day, he, was, he, he called his buddy. His buddy was like, well, any day this week after five, you can come. And I was like, all right, praise the Lord. I was like, that easy, glory to God. Went over there, experienced what I think is like every man's dream um, garage setup with every single tool on the planet, had lifts and all this kind of stuff. And they were so excited because it took, I mean, they were like waiting to like bust bolts because they're used to working on cars with rust. They were like, man, praise this was, this was too easy, glory to God. Why do I say that? They could have easily said, yeah, man, let's try to schedule this out like in two weeks when we got time for this. No, they just made time for it. They made it happen. They made it happen. And so what I'm saying is, man, are we being examples? Are we following the example of Christ? Are we following, are we imitating him or are we imitating the world in our service? Now, listen, I, I don't want to get it twisted, right? Because we all have lives. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. We all have families. We all have responsibilities and things. I'm not asking you to quit your job to go and just serve, you know, if you can afford to do that, I guess. But listen. What, what, what I am saying is we need to be selfless and sacrificial as Jesus was if we are going to follow his example. We have to follow his example. We have to ask that question, who are we seeking to imitate? The third thing is this. Say this with me. Say serving, serving. is most effective when it is gift-specific. Serving is most effective when it is gift-specific. If you have your Bible, again, turn to 1 Peter with me. We're getting ready to come home on this, but I want you to see what the text says here and what Peter, the apostle, communicates 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're just going to look at verse 10 through 11. And I, I, I love to read verse 7, though, as you're turning there, I'll read verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And here's why I ask you to turn verse 10. As each one, hear me now. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter says what? He says, each of you has been given a gift. So here's what I want you to understand, church. God has given you a gift. If you are in here today, if you're hearing me in this message in some way, you have been given a gift, at least one. You may have multiple. There's plenty of people that have multiple gifts. There's plenty of people that are, you know, dual gifted, you know, and quadruple gifted, whatever. There's people that, that, that have, there's, but you at least, at least, at least have one gift. And because you have at least one gift, then the apostle calls you to do what? He expects us, because God expects us, to glorify him as we are edifying others. Did you hear that? He expects us to use our gifts to glorify him as we edify, as we build others up. The follower of Jesus, now listen, listen, this, this is going to be heavy right now, and this is going to be hard, and this could be very offensive, but I'm willing to risk it because I love you. The follower of Jesus who declines to use their gifts in service of the kingdom is denying the lordship of Jesus in all areas as he is being an unfaithful steward. When you or I say, I can't serve, I'm not serving, I can't do it. When we say that, you're not saying no just to the church. You're saying no to the head of the church. Because it's not about me. It's not about the leadership. It's not, even, it's not even all about the people. Our service blesses them. But when I say no, listen, when I say no to growing together, I'm denying Jesus' lordship. When I say no to serving, I'm denying Jesus' lordship. When I say no to reaching others, I'm denying Jesus' lordship. I didn't say any of those things are easy. I didn't say any of them were easy. What I'm saying is that if he is Lord, we say yes to him. Amen? We say yes to him because he is Lord. And what does he say clearly? Verse 10, he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, if you, if you like to write in your Bible, you like to take notes, all that good stuff, I would encourage you to circle that. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given us gifts. We give an account for those gifts. He's given us abilities. We give an account for those abilities. We are stewards. He's saying, son, daughter, I've entrusted you with gifts. Use them for my glory. 
Use them for the good of my people. Use them to reach the lost. Use those gifts to serve for my glory. Be a good steward. Listen, I believe this firmly. God desires to reward you greatly. Someone say amen to that if you believe it. He desires. Listen, God doesn't want you to go to heaven as 1 Corinthians talks about and your works be tried by fire and they come through the fire and if they are not good, what do they do? They are consumed. You're saved. So you lived all your life on this earth. Let's say, let's say you lived to 80, glory to God. Let's say you lived to 100. I mean, let, me, let, me just, let me pray that over your life. Some of you are like, nah, bro, I want to live to like my next year and then go to heaven. But anyway, you live all of these years. You do a bunch of stuff in all of these years. You come before the throne of grace. And God tests your works by fire. And you see them one by one going, poof, poof, poof. I thought that was great. Gee, wait, you get that? Come on in. That's what a judgment looks like. It's not about salvation. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our works. So we have to be those that are serving what? As good stewards based upon what God desires for us. So what does Paul say? I mean, Peter, Peter the apostle, Peter, he categorizes spiritual gifts into two areas. Those of speaking and those of serving. Now, if you go to the apostle Paul, he breaks down the gifts of the spirit in different ways. You believe in those. But in the speaking gifts, what does he say about speaking? He said, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. I want you to notice he doesn't say as the oracle of God. Because he is not saying that you become the oracle like some, you know, spiritual thing from, you know, I don't know, some, you, know, you, know you know what I'm talking about. Like some, some crazy, you know, you are the oracle. That's not, that's not what's happening. I'm not the oracle. What, what Peter is saying is this, is that in all of this, right, the different speaking gifts that Paul lines out in the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, preaching, teaching, these should be done with great reverence. Are you here? These gifts, when, when you get up and you speak for God, whether it is teaching a Bible study, whether it is giving your opinion, it doesn't mean that you don't give an opinion. It doesn't mean that you don't teach the Bible study. It doesn't mean you don't get up and preach the message. It doesn't mean that you don't go and share what you believe God's spirit is leading you, as Minister Hector did this morning. It doesn't mean you don't do that. What it means is that you do it with great reverence. You do it as one that is going to give an account for the words that come out of your mouth that you said, this is God. I feel like this is the Lord. You don't do it again domineering. You don't do it as you're the most spiritual person in the room. No, you do it with humility. He goes on and says what? He says, let him who serves or let him, or, or let, let anyone who ministers, so that's serving, let him do it as with the ability with which, which God supplies. I love that. Let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be 
glorified through Jesus Christ. So serving, what is serving? Some, again, some examples that Paul gives. Leadership is a serving kind of gift. It's, a, it's not just about being up front. It's about leading faithfully, right? Serving leadership, administration. You may be gifted in that area, and God wants to use your gifts in that area in the church. Hospitality, right? You like to, to have people over, things like that. So serving in these different areas helps those different ministries. What does Paul say to do? But you got to hear this. These must be done in the strength that God supplies. Why? Because those things are taxing on you. Hello. If you've ever hosted a party, glory to God. You know, not, not, not everybody has the same gift of hospitality or common sense. I'm just saying. I got to go. The major house a mess. I'm out. Right? Sometimes that, you know, you got to go. I, I get that. But when you got to go every time, glory to God. Yeah. When you never ask, hey, can I help with anything? Hey, can I help clean up? Not everybody has that. And so guess what? It was your house. You hosted. So guess who's got to clean up? Your kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> You're stuck with the cleanup. What happens when you have five, when you host five parties and you didn't have anybody with common sense or the gift of courtesy? Come on now, or the gift of hospitality, right? What happens? And I ain't hosting another party. Come on now. These people done messed up my home, broke my chairs. They got my floor looking jacked up. They messed up the screen. I mean, come on, you know all the stories, right? They broke stuff. They breaking things and not even really even caring about it. You know, you know all that stuff. Hello. Spilling coffee on the floor. You know, their kids are crazy. You know, you know, you know, you know all the stories. What happens? If you're not depending on the strength, on the grace that God gives, you're like, forget that. And you know what happens when you say forget that? You know how many people you are not ministering to? You know how many people are not experiencing the grace of God because you're not using the gift of God that he has given you, church? We have to do it in the strength that God supplies. I love this. Dr. Tony Evans, he likens the church that serves each other based upon their spiritual gifts to a full-service gas station as opposed to a self-service gas station. How many of you have ever been to a full-service gas station? I've not. I've never been to one. I, you know, I understand what they, what they do, right? They come out there. They fill up your tank. You ain't got to get out the car. They fill up your tank. They clean your windshield. They're like, hey, have a good, you know, they're, they're all good. you ain't got to do anything. You just blast hello. Self-serve, what do you got to do? You got to try to find water because most of the time there's not even water in the doggone thing to clean your windshield. I'm just saying, right? And, and it, so, you know, things are broken. Like, okay, you you, you got to take care of this by yourself. You see, the church is, is supposed to be that, that full service thing where we come together, not just on Sunday mornings, but in our smaller group gatherings, in the times that we get out, in the moments that I call Jeff. I'm not going to call you all the time because I only plan to do this hitch thing once. But, you know, I call a brother. Man, man yo, I need some help. You know, somebody put on Roly, put on, on Realm. Hey, I need a truck for something. And, you know, people responded. and he was. But here, here, here's the thing. We have to be that kind of church. We have to serve based on the gifts, based on the blessings. That was one of the things that Dan said. You know, I told you that this beautiful, amazing, you know, garage with all this lift. Every guy's like, can I take a tour? Like, I mean, it's, just, it's an amazing place. But you know what he said that just, that it was just so awesome. It's like, man, God has blessed me way beyond what I'm worthy of. He recognized that the blessing that he had wasn't for him alone. It was to serve however he can. 
I like Dr. Tony Evans' example. It should not be a self-service gas station. We come to church, it's about what I get. It's about what I get. It's about what I need. Are my needs being met? Am I getting fed? Am I getting filled? And we ask all of these questions instead of asking, man, how am I serving? If we want to see the church grow, how many of you want to see the church grow into maturity? How many of you want to see more people being saved and discipled? How, you, you want to see that, right? Well, if you want to see that, again, I go back to this is where we go from making noise or just raising our hands to actually making a difference. This is where we go from saying, I'm committed to loving God. I'm committed to growing together. I'm committed to serving. I'm committed to reaching others. This is where we go beyond saying it and actually living it. Because it's not going to happen unless we discover and employ our gifts in kingdom work. So here's my closing question. Where are you serving? Where are you serving? Where are you gifted? Where is there a need that your gifts can actually make a difference and actually make some kind of impact? Are you serving? I named a bunch of areas in which you can serve. There may be other areas that you have a burden, that you have a heart to serve. Sister Raquel and Diana, they came to me and they, they, they talked to me about doing a ministry of service and how, and how can we impact our community in greater ways. They, 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 there was no particular ministry that was created. They created their own ministry, glory to God. Because what? They have a burden. They have a heart. They want to serve. They want to love better. So where are you serving? If you're not serving anywhere, if you haven't put your hand to the plow for the service of the kingdom... And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to let you know Jesus died to forgive you of laziness or whatever it is. Whatever excuses, he wants you to remove those, and he wants you to serve in his kingdom. He wants you to serve in his kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Father, I, I pray today for my brothers, for my sisters. I pray that you would help us. First, I pray for those that are serving. Lord, I know it gets tired. I know that it gets lonely. I know that it gets discouraging. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would revitalize their vision, that they would be able to realize how important they are to the work of the kingdom. I pray that you strengthen them. I pray for those that are not serving God. I pray that as they've heard these words today, that they would ask the question, God, where can I serve? That they would begin by talking to you and then, God, that they would approach leadership about where they can serve. If they're not sure where they're gifted, Lord God, begin to show them, even now as I'm praying. Begin to remind them of the gifts that you have placed in them. Father God, for those that have been hurt in their service, those who, who don't even want to serve God because they're, they're just over it, Lord, I pray that you would renew them and their commitment to being good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Father, help us to be that church that is that full service, that the gifts that you've placed in us will be deployed and employed in your work for your glory and for your honor. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.
We are going to partake of communion now. If you would, if you have, if, if you have communion, then you can go ahead and open, open it on the top. If you don't like me, then you can um, raise your hand and the ushers will get it. Thank you, sir. John, you missed the story, man. I used you in the illustration. You missed it, man. You have to listen to the message now. <laughs> I'll read from the text that we read every Sunday, which is a reminder of us of the importance of this moment. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Communion is a, is a gospel picture. It reminds us of our sin, of our Savior, and of our salvation. When we come to this communion table, it is a moment that we can reflect, that we can look at our hearts, look at our lives, look at our past week, look at the week ahead of us. We can see, man, is there sin that's unconfessed? Are there situations that I need to deal with, relationships I need to fix? I mean, is there, are there things that, that, that have gone wrong? Is there areas in which I need to honor the body better? We're reminded of our sin, but we're also reminded of our great Savior who died for us, who died to forgive us, who died to offer us the grace that is needed to continue forward to run this race, to continue to fight this good fight. And we are reminded of our salvation, that glorious day when all this will be culminated and we will be in his presence forever without pain, without sorrow, without doubts, without fears, without heartaches, without any of the encumbrances of our flesh. We look forward to that day. Communion reminds us of that. So if you would, just bow your head right where you are. As the Spirit of God examines your heart, confess sin that's been unconfessed. Lord, thank you for your precious blood. Thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you, Jesus, for being good to a people who are unworthy of your goodness. Thank you for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. As we partake of this communion, let us be reminded of the great sacrifice you made for us. We thank you for this, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to stand with me, would you stand? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may partake of the bread. Thank you, Lord. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You may partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your great love, God. Hmm. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. Today is kind of an official day in the calendar. Today is a day that many churches around the nation celebrate the sanctity of life. 1994, I actually looked this up because one of my buddies posted this, and I never really looked at the history of this, but if you, you can Wikipedia this if you'd like. But in 1994, President Ronald Reagan was the first one to declare the Sanctity of Life Day. It's the 20-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Up here, we don't have it there anymore because they moved to Winter Park, but we used to have a pregnancy center that was there. There are other pregnancy centers around that we support and that we want to support because they are standing in the gap for the unborn. And so what I want to do for us is I just want us to pray for three things. And, and these are the three things that I would ask you to pray about on this day as we think about this. And, you know, presidents, some presidents, you know, have declared this a national day. Others have not. But the fact is this, is that this is an important thing. This is an important thing for us to always keep in mind. But I, there's three things I want us to pray for. One is I want us to pray for moms in crisis. I want to pray for those moms that are going to find out today or they're going to find out tomorrow or they're going to find out sometime in this year that they're pregnant and they don't know what to do and they're scared. I think it's important that when we think about this that we pray for those moms. That we pray for them that, you know, for the, for the young man that, that is in a situation that he's like, oh my goodness, I thought we were just having fun and life got real real quick. We should pray for them. We should lift them up. We should also pray for moms that are under condemnation. Because there are plenty of moms who have had abortions and they're... When they hear this, they cringe because they feel some kind of condemnation. They shouldn't feel condemnation. Jesus died. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins, to welcome us in. But may those moms not feel condemnation, but may they feel the liberty to help other moms that may have made that bad decision, that may have made the, the choice that I think we would all agree is not right. And then I would also say, thirdly, we need to pray for our legislators. We need to pray for our legislators who are making decisions all the time on federal level, on state levels. We need to pray for them to have wisdom in these moments. So let's pray. Father, we humble our hearts. And God, we, we praise you, God, for the boldness of a president, Ronald Reagan, who actually made this a thing. And so today we mourn the loss of the thousands of aborted babies. God, as a nation, our hands are bloody. And so we repent before you for these atrocities, God. Father, we pray for your hand to be upon each and every pregnancy center that is seeking to help moms navigate through these difficult waters and rescuing these babies' lives. 
whether that means adoption, whether that means working together with family, whether that means, and I pray this for us as a church, that we would be able to stand beside moms that find themselves in these situations. Father, I pray for those moms that will wake up, that are in crisis, that are overwhelmed, that will be overwhelmed by the reality that they are pregnant. And Lord, they have heard so many voices. They're confused. They don't know what to do. God, I pray that they would not ignore their conscience. I pray that they would not ignore that still small voice that can give them peace and strength in the midst of this storm. Father, we pray for them that you would surround them with a community of support. Not a community that is beating them down, but a community that would support them, that would love them. A community that would stand beside them, not just up until birth, but Lord God, until they can get on their own feet. Father, I pray for moms in, in, in this place and Father God, throughout this land that Anytime this topic comes up, Lord God, it is sensitive because they're under a condemnation. They feel so unworthy because of a decision that they made. God rescue them from that condemnation. May they know your love. May they know that you're there with them. And again, I pray that we as the church would not add insult to injury in this, God, but that we would be able to love people well and help bring healing to those lives. And Father, we stand before you on behalf of our legislators. Lord, your word says that they are supposed to be executors of what is good, not of evil. And I, and I know that your word says that you change the hearts of leaders. You turn the heart of the king where you will. And so, God, my prayer is that as our congressmen, as our senators gather and they discuss legislation, Lord, that they would not look at this as something that is just about money, that they would not look at this as something less than what it is, and it is lives that are at stake. Give them your wisdom, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name.